Okay, here we are. It's Kelly and Gretchen, and we are back for episode three of our newly named podcast, which we have finally gotten a name, and it took months, Mm -hmm. because we've been talking about this, and finally we actually started recording the podcast and figured the name would come later. So our name is Balancing Chaos. One thing that I sort of screwed up on is that I did not immediately look for the URL, so we're going to have a website coming soon at balancingchaospodcast.com, but you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash balancingchaos, and you can find us on Twitter where we are balancing underscore chaos because I didn't do my due diligence on um, the URL. So for all you other bloggers and Instagrammers who already are using balancing chaos, I'm really sorry, but we're going to use it too. <laughs> so, and we're going to be better. It's going to ba- be great. Balancing chaos with Kelly and Gretchen. Yes. And the balancing chaos name came up because while we are talking about our different points of view and the way our political and religious um, positions sort of shape our point of view, we are still um, balancing the chaos of kids and family and work and doing our own thing and having book club and getting our own social interactions in and all of that. And one of the things I actually found to be pretty cool was I was reading um, a story from Patton Oswalt, and he has a new show called Annihilation, which is awesome. And he was talking about his late wife, who sounds like she was awesome, and they are not religious. And her thing was that the whole world is chaos, you should be kind. And I was like, that blew my mind, because that's totally my religious belief. Everything is screwed up, just be nice. Mm-hmm. So what's your chaos like, Kelly? Um, great. So I, you know, like Gretchen said, sometimes life can feel chaotic when you're balancing a career and your kids and the kids have been a new chaos to me because my youngest son started kindergarten and then there's all these things that come with school and the forms that you have to sign and then the after school programs and then enrichment and making sure that your child is where they need to be academically and um, it suddenly seems much more chaotic than it used to be when I just had to go to work and also my husband used to stay home with our kids which significantly reduce chaos in my life so I think the name balancing chaos is great because I think every probably every woman feels like their life has some chaos but at the same time what are we doing to balance it out and you know still live productive and fulfilled lives absolutely so our com our uh, theme today is being content versus striving for more and we are trying to figure out how to find this balance in our own lives when you think about Sheryl Sandberg and Lean In and, you know, what is the, what's the mission of Lean In? So Lean In's, one of their missions is to strive to empower women to achieve their ambitions. So striving, what's a woman's ambition? So that's the other thing is mm-hmm. that really get, you have to think about what is a woman's ambition. So what would you say your ambition is? Well, it's a great question because I've always strived, for me, I've always strived to, uh, do my very best. There's a quote by um, oh, Irma Bombeck, and it says, at the end of my life, I want to look at God and say, there you have it. I gave every, I used everything you gave me. And I've really, I've lived my life that way, just striving to do my very best in any situation that I'm put in. But when I look at this mission, um, I think this is an incredible mission for Lean In because I do think that a lot of women are, don't have the courage or ambition or belief in themselves to lean in or strive, whatever you want to define it as. 
to do something maybe that they've always dreamed of or just that, you know, a goal that they have. But then my other concern with it is um, I think it's risky because I also think we create a society where we start comparing ourselves to others and someone's definition of striving may be much different than someone else's. But then you start getting anxious because, oh, that person over there is doing more than me. So maybe now I should strive for a certain career or a certain title, even though deep down that's not my right. my deepest desire and that's my my pr- number one problem with the concept of leaning in is in, one, in most regard I think it's great but then on the other side I worry that it creates unnecessary pressure on people or it people don't truly reflect on what they want for themselves deep down and that we're not supporting every type of leaning in or striving right <clears throat> so in my own ambition would be to, I and I'm about a decade older than Kelly, so I kind of feel like I am in that place where I am doing pretty well. So mm-hmm. I have a master's degree. I have a job in my field where I'm pretty successful, and generally people like working with me, as far as I know. I have two kids. I have a great husband, and I kind of feel like great. Everything's really good, and um, and. You know, I've said, you know, the only thing that I would like is more money. But I think I don't like I don't know what the point is when you would be like, okay, I have enough money because I feel like everybody's always looking for more money. Right. But even then, it's not like I don't have any money. So my ambition is to try to balance that career and also my family. This was the first year I had summers off since I was a public school teacher. And when I was a public school teacher, I didn't have kids. So I really loved having the summer with my girls and people who make more than me were envious of that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, wow, that must be so awesome. I'm like, I'm not taking it for granted. It totally is. Mm-hmm. I'm really fortunate that this is how things have shaken out. Um, I really enjoy enjoyed that balance. It was, But it was tough to go back to work. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you get this in the academic world mm-hmm. be- because for me, it's in my role, it was a new thing that I'd been there for 10 years and this is a new contract arrangement. But it felt a little weird to go back the day before I went back. I almost had a panic attack. Like, oh, no, well, they still need me. Am I still like, you know, useful? Am I valuable to in my job? And now that I've been there for a while and now that I'm back teaching and stuff, it's definitely feels like they can still use me. Mm-hmm. And if they can't use me, I'm sure someone else can. Mm-hmm. So but it was a weird shift, which made me actually wonder if that was almost like a mini experience of a stay at home parent mm. trying to reenter the workforce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Because I feel like that, too, when I start the semester back up. And just to comment on Gretchen's point that people were telling her how great this is. We were were on this friend text thread and the summer Gretchen and I would be rapid firing texts to the thread and the other people on the thread wouldn't be responding. And we were like, what's wrong with you? Do you have a job or something? (laughs) And they did. Yeah. We felt bad. No, we didn't. (laughs) But... Yeah, definitely when I go back, I feel a little shady, like a little like I'm, I need a, my brain isn't firing quite as fast as it is. And we you know I still work a little in the summer, but it's nowhere near the intensity of the academic year. Um, and I like so. I went to my conference this summer and so I was, you know, I had my work brain on then. Um, but it's still, it was still a weird shift. And so because it was a weird shift and this was going back to, uh, you know, I've, a job I've had for longer than anything else and a job that I like and all of that. And I tried to imagine what it must be like for a stay at home parent to start a new job 
with no one they know Mm -hmm. after years of not being in the workforce and how that must feel really disjointed. I've always said I think that the ideal situation would be part-time everything. If Mm -hmm. we could have part-time work, if I could work, if I had a four-day work week, you know, and I love my summers off, but the other option is I feel like if I had a four-day work week, it would be amazing. And if I was able to have my kids in childcare, you know, they're in school now, but when they were younger, like three or four days a week. So we had like a day together. I had a day to myself. And then we both had three days where we were at daycare and work and doing whatever. I feel like there's this, there's not a, our country doesn't do a good job of figuring out ways to make that balance happen. Part of it, I think, is health insurance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I carry our health insurance for my family and my husband could carry it if I wanted to. But it's not like that in all situations. But for both of us, actually, last night, Willow was upset and she was like, oh, I just wish that I could be homeschooled and dad could be homeworked. <laughs> so she was mad that he wasn't home. He had to work late last night. And I, I thought, you know, yeah, we'd all love that. Like our whole family would love it if we all were kind of shifting in and out mm-hmm. all the time. But that's just not how it is. So what if it's a woman's ambition to not work? Like how I wonder how mm-hmm. Cheryl would support that. And I, I wonder how she'd support it. Now that she has lost her husband, too, mm-hmm. if she would support it differently then versus now. Well, you know, honestly, I remember when I was reading that book, and I found the book very motivating at the time. I probably read it four, four, four so years ago. But I felt slightly irritated throughout the entire book because I felt that her stance leaned toward double-income earning families. And at that time, my husband was a stay-at-home dad, and I... I believe that it was enriching our quality of life and our family so tremendously that to hear her bias toward double income earning families frustrated me a little bit. That would be my one disagreement and with the book. double really high income earning Exactly, right. I mean, I, un- a rare percent of the population. A, like, if I had a cleaning lady, my God. <laughs> yeah, I know. If I had a personal <laughs> chef, it would be fabulous. Yeah. But the other thing, too, so your husband was a stay-at-home dad. Yeah. So... He he works now in a, in a, what, is it part-time or is it? He recently went to full-time. Okay, so he works full-time now, mm-hmm. um, but he still has a, quite a lot of work flexibility. Yes, And works out of the home pretty much. Yes. The, I wonder if he, if he was returning to his previous career, if he would have had as many issues as women do. Mm. If people look at his resume and say, oh, that is so sweet. You stayed home with your kids. You're such a modern man. Of course, we'll hire you because you're still a man. And so you definitely did not lose any skills or, you know, experience in that time. You were just taking one for the team. Wow, good guy. Whereas I feel like women would have that gap, not maybe not perceived as excitedly. Well, it's interesting you say that because it was actually the exact opposite for him. So really? Yes. He had tried to apply for a couple of jobs when we first moved home to Portland because when we left Boston to come back home to Maine, we actually left without any employment. We just wanted to be in Maine so badly. We didn't care. I would have done anything, any job at that point, and so would he. And so he started to apply. Um, but he had taken you know, a couple years off, and at the time, we just desperately needed to make that decision for our family that he stayed home. It was never our plan mm-hmm. to go that way, but that's just the way it worked out. And so I remember he had applied for this job, and he was very qualified, and they, the HR person had him on the phone, and the way his resume looked is because he hadn't finished graduate school at that time yet, because he recently finished. Right. He still looked like he was in graduate school, and... When she realized that he hadn't been employed, 
she he she asked him the question about his employer and he said well i've been staying home with our son for the past two years she the the conversation went silent she goes oh (laughs) and then he it was it she didn't get a second interview wow and he had when we moved back up to maine he a bangor area he tried to get another job and um it was kind of, it was a similar experience where he felt that he his he actually believes it's even worse for men to reenter when they decide to stay home because we we're almost expected to as women right. to stay home and that's a societal expectation that women have this role but when men do it it's almost weird like whoa what's wrong with you why did you make that decision for your family obviously if i was a hiring manager yeah. i'd be like oh that is so Yay! great yeah right <laughs> but you it's not the case at all and he also as a stay at home dad constantly had these experiences where he'd you know try to do play groups but it's all stay-at-home moms and then him and he'd just say he felt so isolated because he's never going to be in part of that inner group because he's not a woman so he could tell he could do his own podcast on life as a stay-at-home dad and how challenging it is and how he would feel that women have an advantage in that area just because this is the way society is set up you know right to expect of us there's actually a book um I think it's Tom Parada, and I'll have to figure it out. Um, and it's about a stay-at-home dad who has an affair with one of the stay-at-home moms in the in the in the play group, and it's like all the little children or something like that. And it's just a I think, and I think I think of women reading that book and being like, "Who was the play group today?" Yeah, <laughs> you know, and having it be suspicious, just especially if you're. Or having men read it and be suspicious of women or whatever. You know, like oh, being he, like, oh, so who's this guy that's just hanging out all the time? Well, he used, so we used to be, when we lived in southern part of the state, He we had a good friend, fam, uh, friends of the family, no, family friends, who had a stay-at-home mom. And they would hang out a lot. And her family would question her on it. You know, do you think that's, don't you think that's a little weird? And we would always joke, her husband and I would joke and say, fine, go for it. You guys are going to be broke. (laughs) Who's earning money over there? You know? So that actually brings (laughs) up my next point. And that because I am older than you, one of the things that I'm finding is I'm in the depressing generation. Because I'm like, you know, like the, you know, when you're you're a teenager, which that actually kind of sucks too. But then in your 20s, people are getting married and for me, like, I didn't have my kids till my 30s, but so your 20s and 30s, they're getting married, you're having kids, you're going to weddings and baby showers. Oh, it's so cute. It's so awesome. And then when you hit your 40s, all of that starts to change. So now I find myself having more and more friends who are in the process of getting divorced or they're in the process of preparing to be a single parent. And there has been... I know I read an article, I think it was in the Globe, and I'll try to find it, about the perils of being the stay-at-home, the parent who gives up their career mm-hmm. only to be left mm-hmm. 15 years later. And then now you have put all of your money into, all of your resources into raising your kids, and your partner's made all the money, and now you need to go find a job, and you have a 15-year gap on your resume, but mm-hmm. you thought it would be fine, because happens a lot, especially with, I, mean, I think it happens across all income levels. But I think the longer gaps are people who just have higher incomes who, well, of course, I'll support you because I'm making more than two people combined and it's just easier and you can manage all the chaos Mm -hmm. of getting the kids to practice and all of that. And then something happens in their 40s and all of a sudden here's a woman who probably went to college, maybe even, you know, probably worked and then gave it up to stay at home. And I can't imagine having to face that situation in general, I can't imagine having to face that situation. 
I haven't had to. I have, I have friends who have lost their husbands and they have all of a sudden they're a single parent that they had never, ever expected to be a single parent. But because they had their careers, it, I think it made it easier for them mm. to keep going and to, um, you know, to at least feel like there was going to be food on the table and a roof over their head. And I feel like that's the concern of giving it all up for so long and giving up that, that mm. piece. So I, part of me would love to be, I would love it if, if both my husband and I could be stay at home parents who were just like the Kardashians. Win everyone. Yeah. And we were just like, cool, let's, yeah. let's go for a bike ride. We're going to homeschool our kids. I don't care. Like we're just going to hang out all the time and we're going to do stuff. And then sometimes I'll go do my thing and you're going to go do your thing yeah. and it'll be awesome. Like that'd be awesome. But I do think it's important that I, that I stayed in the, in the workforce. My mom was a teacher, so she was always a working parent and she was the reason my dad was able to start his business. And he's always said that. So when she was old enough to retire from teaching the for a minute, she could retire. She did because my dad was like, she supported me at the beginning. So she gets to stop early. And she went and worked with my dad for a few years before they sold their business. But he was like, this is what she's earned because at the early years, it was all on her. And she'll tell us, she's like, you know, the only reason we can do things for you now is because I worked. If I hadn't worked, we wouldn't be able to take your kids skiing. We wouldn't be able to do all these things. So remember that it's because I worked. So mm-hmm. I always had that um, being drummed into my head. I always had a working mom, but a very available, you know, like she worked two classrooms down from me for the first seven years of my public education. Mm-hmm. And then she was three streets away for the last half. So she was always very accessible, but she was still a working mother. Yeah, my one of my colleagues and I were talking yesterday and she said that she was definitely she never had any intentions of being a stay-at-home parent, even though they could have financially, because she said, I'm not going to be 45 years old when you have your midlife crisis and decide, <laughs> and then just, and then have no career in front of me, you know, be, and not be able to feed my kids. And I, I guess if I reflect on it a little bit, it's probably one of the reasons why I never would have considered being a stay-at-home parent. Well, number one, I... I was born to a teen mother and finances were always tough. Mm-hmm. And I, in my brain, I remember being five years old thinking I will always be able to pay for everything I need for my family. Yeah. My whole life I had that thought. So I would never have thought to be a stay-at-home parent, but I do believe that families who do make the sacrifice to have one parent stay home have less chaos because yeah. I lived it and my husband stayed home and they our life was wonderful. Moment. I know, true, but they <laughs> but the other thing too is the sacrifice that comes with it because, you know, we didn't have cable television, we shared a car, we never ate out, we never went to dinner. We definitely wouldn't have been able to send our kids to all these things we do now when they go, you know, my my yeah. kids do all sorts of enrichment activities, but they're extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wouldn't we took a lot of sacrifices to our life to, you know, have that person home to you know, sign up the forms and make dinner and clean the house. And I mean, he did everything, literally. I See, I, and this is where I wish that that the U.S. would catch up with the rest of the world and their maternity leave policies. Because so with my first daughter, I actually did stay home. I was a, I um, had her at the very end of my graduate program. And so I didn't wasn't taking a maternity leave from a job. We just decided to ride it out until we needed to. So I, she, I was home with her for nine months and it was awesome. And Dave would come home for lunch and we'd all hang out. It was super cool. It was great. 
and it made me really wish that we had it set as an expectation because in like in Canada, it's expected you're going to be out for a year. It's not a weird thing that you're going to take a year. It's not a weird thing that you're going to take more than six weeks. It's, oh yeah, you're going to be out for a year and we have all the plans in place to accommodate that. We know how to hire a temp to replace you for a year. We know how to handle you being gone and it's not a weird thing and we totally expect you to come back and it's going to be great. And because it's an expectation like that, then there isn't that pressure and that weirdness like, oh, I shouldn't take so long. And then when I had my second daughter, I was working at my current job and I had saved up enough time and everything that I took the full 12 weeks and then I came back in like in June and came back and did four day weeks through the summer until the school year started. And that was a great thing. And that is so, but that's, I'm a professional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would not have been able to have that situation if I was working retail or fast food. It would be very hard for me to do that. Although those schedules can sometimes be what parents want because of the evening shifts and for their, you know, tag teaming childcare with their partner or whatever. But if we had it in the U.S. that it was just the child, that the maternity leave was paid maternity leave, it was expected, it was, you knew what was coming, I feel like that would take a huge burden off of families because that first year is just tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is where we were living reverse roles, my husband and I, when we had both of our children. And because of health insurance, because I was the primary income earner, the only income earner, mm-hmm. and it, your health insurance is tied to your employment, I went, I took the 12 weeks, six of which were unpaid when we were living, you know, oh, well. one person yeah. earning an income. Um, well, with my first son, I didn't take any time because I was in my doctoral program and you, there was no such thing as maternity leave. And I had him in the middle of a semester. And if I would have taken a leave of absence, I would have lost my health insurance because I was funded under right. a research grant. So forget that. So anyhow, we, um, I always thought, even during that time, the first year, the first couple years, really, mm-hmm. that we... We can get crazy and think, like, we're going to be Sweden or Denmark. Right. Like, that's just, like, pretty <laughs> Canada standards, you know? But I would say, I would say often, this is why women were designed to stay home, because it was so hard, because I had all these responsibilities at work, but I was also up all night trying to be the, you know, ideal mother, especially, you know, I'm a very into nutrition. So Mm -hmm. I definitely breastfed for the two year recommendation, but that came at a tremendous cost to my health, you know, really up all night, work all day, you know, whereas if I could have been the stay at home parent, you could have taken it. Not that that is any easier because it's not, but at least you don't have to be the part that that was the the nine months that I was home and with my maternity leave, the part that was nice was that it wasn't on a schedule. And even this last summer, right? It was Yep, I both of my babies were breastfed and were reverse cyclers and nursed forever. And I, but it didn't matter. Like, all right, whatever, I'm feeding you. But then there were many times when Ingrid was a baby, especially that Dave would get up and be like, all right, kiss us and go to work, and we're still in bed because I'd been feeding her all night long. But it didn't matter because we were just that's where we're gonna be. And I would actually take. I remember taking my list of what do I need. Like, okay, I need these things at Target, and I would go to Target. My goal was I went out every day. So I would go to Target and be like, we need toilet paper. And I'd buy toilet paper. And the next day I'd be like, oh, right, we need toothpaste. Like I would never do a big load because I needed to get out of the house and have something to do. So my something to do was to work on my Target list all week long. And so I would go every day and get like one thing and come back and just to get that, just to get out of the house, basically. Well, and to take it back to, I started talking about this with Cheryl Sandberg's book about the stay-at-home mom is that. I felt that she was 
more supportive of double income earning families. But, and I was angry about it at the time, like I said, because James was staying home. But at the very end of the book, and this is where I think when we talk about, you know, the mission to empower women to achieve their ambitions, many women, some of my close, almost all of my closest friends, their their entire ambition was to be stay-at-home parents. I remember when we were in college, my three roommates, they talked about all the time they were dreaming up their weddings and their how they were going to be stay-at-home moms. And they are! That's what they do. And I am so happy for them because that's exactly what they wanted. And right. so I think we also need to support those women and not get in this feminist movement where if you stay home, you're not as much of a woman as the person who goes and has this big-time CEO job, you know? So at the very end of the book, though, she says her mom was a stay-at-home mom. And I think, okay, what was the societal and economic value of her mom being a stay-at-home mom? Because Sheryl Sandberg, incredibly successful woman, her brother is an orthopedic surgeon or something, and the other brother is some other very highly educated professional. So they're clearly the impact of having someone home was positive for their family, yet the book seemed to lean the other way. And my other friend, who's a stay-at-home mom, the one that was my roommate, she is an engineer, and she her son just finished up his first year of kindergarten. And I was asking her about it because my son was going into kindergarten, and I was a little anxious about the regulation, uh, the the outcome that they have to read at the end of the first year. I think, oh my gosh, because we didn't have those expectations, no. right? So I think that's kind of crazy. And so she started telling me about how, what she did to teach her kid to read. And here she is, her, he, he wasn't even old. She didn't even hold him back, you know, a year. She didn't, he didn't read shirt the kindergarten year, but, and they only have half days in the state where she lives. And her kid is reading chapter books at the end of kindergarten. And he won the super reader award. And she made some comment about it. And I said, no, you take credit for that because that is the sacrifice you're making. Not the sac. She wants to be a stay-at-home mom, but she's taking a significant financial sacrifice to do that job. And look at the outcome. She definitely influenced the child in many ways because I don't have time to do that. Well, and honestly, and here's so here's my like little literacy bugaboo in there. Yeah. Don't force your kindergarten kid to read chapter books. It's not a rite of passage to read a chapter book. Like there's so much there's so much better um, vocabulary and richer literature in picture books. So so don't just because your kids are in the mind, don't give up on picture books. Too well. I read a picture book last night to the girls because there's so much to learn from picture books. And I feel like this race to um, chapter books drives me kind of nuts. Yeah, but, no, but I'm just saying, like, yeah, yeah. my kid isn't going to be at that place. Yeah. He, well, and so you know. Ingrid went to kindergarten reading. She knew how to read, but she's very literal. And my other daughter did not go to kindergarten learning, knowing how to read. But when she did learn how to read, she got the nuances of reading much faster than Ingrid did. So mm-hmm. she would be able to read it and do voices. She recognized when the characters change and would do different voices, whereas basically and could decode things and go through. And I absolutely hate, I like shake my fist whenever I see this infomercial come on with your baby can read. Your baby can't read. Yeah. Your baby is responding to symbols, just like your baby recognizing the Target logo because you go every single day to get toothpaste. It's just, they're not reading Target. They just know that you're at Target because you say, we're going to Target. Target, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, in your baby can't read. Stop yeah. trying to make them read. Um, so let's go into our favorite things. All right. So my favorite thing is chalk paint. Have you ever heard of it? Uh, I don't. Well, I don't know. Is it like those markers at restaurants? No. Okay. So we recently got this furniture. My uh, father-in-law passed away a few years ago and he is a fifth generation only child. And so there was a lot of (laughs) family 
items and heirlooms and they arrived in our garage and I felt quite overwhelmed about that because I have a more modern style in my house and I thought geez I don't know I the stuff is so cool but I don't know how to integrate it because it would look weird and so um, my brother's girlfriend said oh you should just chalk paint that and I had I'd never heard of it but the stuff is amazing it's a little expensive but we you don't need to sand you don't need to strip the um oil off or anything in one hour we transformed this marble top hutch thing i probably has a better name than that and it looks amazing i mean you saw it was it the blue one yeah well i didn't realize you need to strip and because i we do stuff and strip it and peel it and do all that kind of stuff you do strip it and peel it oh yeah yeah so that with like restore fines and things. yeah so chalk paint you don't have to so she just and my brother's girlfriend did it of course i didn't do it because no one would want me painting (laughs) anything but she just went outside my yard in one hour this thing looks beautiful and so now i'm obsessed with chalk paint so then i chalk so then i went back out to the garage and basically went shopping (laughs) with all this stuff i'm like this is awesome so and then i chalk painted a, a lamp and I'm going to chalk paint another lamp. I chalk painted some end tables. And it looks so cool. It's it's better than anything you can buy. Interesting. Because it yeah, has the character of the maybe old. Maybe I've seen it. I think I've seen, like, some of these, like, shabby chic people talk about it. But they always make it. I don't like shabby chic stuff. So they always make it look really, like, beat up. And I don't want it to look beat oh, up. Oh, I'm totally with but you. yours doesn't look like that. No, because I, I guess that is what you're technically supposed to do with it. But I hate that look, too. I'm yeah. just, this is just not my personal style. The country look. Yeah, yeah, but you don't have to, as you can see, because you saw mine. Yeah, that look. Yeah, it looks great. So, chalk paint, yes, chalk awesome. Paint. How about so, you? Mine is a blog that I love called Ask a Manager. I now I don't really manage people, although I get I do see a lot of parallels in management and how I teach and how I interact with groups that I'm sort of leading. So right. I'm not a manager, I'm not their supervisor, but it helps inform me on that. And it is just the best blog about the workplace and it has people will send in questions and the questions can be outrageous there's if you look at like the top 10 it can be really funny like one was um uh, somebody who someone kept eating the food out of the uh, out of the fridge and then whoever was eating it ate kept eating his food and the person who was stealing the food got violently ill and then they fired the person who brought the food in and said you made this employee sick and he was like it's my lunch why would you why am I in trouble for him stealing my lunch? Like, right. maybe he shouldn't have eaten my lunch. Yeah. Anyway, so, like, things like that and these really interesting, like, HR dilemmas. And that's always been, you know, my MBA is in organization management, so maybe that's why I like all this kind of stuff. And maybe that's that crossover of teaching and business is the HR world. And um, so, and they have great ideas on writing resumes and interviews and how to handle weird job applications and stuff like that. And even though I am, I don't manage people and I'm not looking, I tend to, um, I, I help people with their resumes and cover letters all the time because I'm a pretty good proofreader. So reading all of these stories and getting all these job tips, I, I'm often sending them off to people I know. So that's askamanager.org. And it is a really cool blog that you should definitely check out. Yeah, well, I think it'd be great for your students, too, because I get students all the time asking me to look at their resumes and, well, and I different think what, tips. I think what happens with people, even like the smartest people in the world, you get too emotionally into your resume mm-hmm. and you're like worked up because you're applying for this job. And so you can't see the forest for the trees sometimes. So even if you are a copy editor yourself, mm-hmm. I really think that you should send your stuff off to someone for a second read. Oh my gosh, yes. That doesn't have that emotional yes. attachment to whatever it is you're writing. Because I see brilliant people who will have an accidental double word and they just don't see it because they've looked at it too long to mm-hmm. really see the differences. So so that's my that's my resume tip. 
I'm, and I'm not a hire, but... <laughs> oh, I, I a billion percent agree with having someone look at your stuff. All right. So, so our new podcast is named Balancing Chaos, and you can find us on iTunes. You can now find us on Stitcher. You can find us at on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, and we have a website that will be coming eventually, but you can search for us on those to have a listen. And thank you for listening. <laughs>